Democrats continue to pretend to be outraged at a Wall Street Journal op-ed that said Jill Biden should not call herself a doctor merely because she's not a doctor. Biden's spokesman Phil Hokum declared, quote, I have never pretended to be this outraged in all my life. To say that Jill Biden should not be called a doctor just because she has a Ph.D. in some non-existent science I can hardly name out loud without laughing is the lowest form of sexism and should be make-believe offensive to all privileged white women without anything better to worry about. I am so fake angry, I can barely get the words out in a convincing tone of voice, unquote. Strange-tasting soda Dr. Pepper also protested, saying, quote, I want to register in the strongest possible terms just how offended I'm pretending to be. If an expert in a field that by all rights shouldn't even exist can't be called a doctor, then all I can say is I'm just a can of carbonated sugar water with a weirdly unidentifiable taste that's really not as bad as you thought it was once you get used to it, unquote. Spider-Man supervillain Dr. Octopus also said he was pretending to be insulted by the op-ed. In a CNN panel discussion with the usual bunch of brainless nudniks, Doc Ock said, quote, For the Biden administration to succeed, we cannot have journalists saying true things like this. If people are going to start randomly stripping undeserved doctor titles off our names, then I'll just become octopus. Do I look like an octopus to you? All right, I sort of look like an octopus, but I'm so much more than that when you really get to know me, unquote. Dr. Evil, Doc from the Seven Dwarves, and Dr. Love, who's got the potion and the emotion, also feel Joe Biden should keep her title, even though they concede she can't be a very good doctor, or Joe Biden wouldn't look the way he does. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. All right, we are back laughing our way through the fall of the Republic. The final mailbag of the year will be today. And just to remind you, I am not uh, canceling the show. I'm going from four times a week to one longer show each week. But a lot of people keep saying I'm leaving, but I hope that's not the case. We're we're working it out. And uh, so I still hope to be here. There still should be mailbags. I'm hoping to do a lot more of the all-access communications where we talk to one another. Um, so please go on the YouTube, the Andrew Clavin YouTube channel and subscribe. Uh, we are, we're over 200,000 subscribers. We're trying to get down to about 35. So I'm trying to alienate and uh, offend as many people as I can, as many people in the audience. I, I've already offended those who believe the election was stolen. Uh, now the, the Groypers are unhappy because I called one of their buddies, uh, Hitler. Um, you know, it always it's always funny that they, the the Groypers uh, use Jew as a pejorative and make a big fuss about the fact that the, they they think the Holocaust didn't exist. And when people say they're Hitlerian, it's like you're calling me names, uh, just description. Uh, so here, if you leave a comment on the YouTube channel and it is sufficiently uh, ignorant and absurd, we will just add it to the commentary because it'll fit right in. Uh, for Sean Hool. Uh, today we have, if the show goes to once a week, uh, pe people may not be appalled enough to get down to the seven subscriber goal. Well, I, you know, I thank you for your concern, but believe me, I can offend as many people once a week as I do uh, over the course of four days. I'm just going to pack it all together. The New York Times, a former newspaper, ran an article yesterday describing uh, the angst of their fellow left-wing news outlets, CNN and MSNBC, as they look ahead to a future without Donald Trump. 
To quote the article, top executives at the rival cable news networks have summoned star anchors and producers to private meetings in recent weeks, seeking answers to a pressing question, what's next? For all that cable TV has been outraged and afraid of Donald Trump, Donald Trump was a ratings bonanza for them because outrage and fear is exactly what they're selling. In real life, no news is good news, but on TV, especially cable TV, good news is no news. But let's answer their question, what next? We can be pretty sure that Donald Trump plans to use the media and their addiction to him to stay center stage. And you can see how that dynamic's gonna play out. It doesn't take a genius to figure it out, but I'll do it anyway. Uh, Anytime Trump says something potentially outrageous, the media will jump on it and cast it in the worst possible light as authoritarian or racist. Then they'll go around to Republican office holders, uh, everybody they can find, asking if they agree or disagree with Donald Trump. And Republicans will be stuck because if they disagree, uh, they'll lose the support of Trump voters. And if they agree, the media will try to make them look authoritarian and racist. This will serve Trump's purposes by keeping him powerful and in the spotlight, and it'll serve the media by helping them hold on to their Trump-hating audience, and it will serve the Democrats by sticking potential Republican candidates with the Trump label that might alienate moderate voters. But will it serve the people? Will it serve those of us who want to move on past Biden-Harris into a period of truly conservative governance? This is after Biden can no longer serve as president uh, because he can't find his way to the Oval Office and after uh, Kamala Harris has alienated every single person in, in the country so that she will be voted out of office. Now, I can see a good side to this dynamic. Uh, a loudmouth Trump will discourage Republican drift back into the rhino Jeb exclamation point camp and maybe teach some of their people how to clap back at the corporate media, which is an essential skill for all Republicans. And if they haven't learned it from Donald Trump, they will soon be gone. But there's also the danger that Trump's powerful personality will overwhelm the image of any Republican trying to distinguish himself from the rest of the pack, which brings to light this all-important point. In the fights between interest groups, the Trumpians, the global corporate media, the Democrats, the Republicans, the people's freedom is protected by the people alone. We are the only people who are looking out for our freedom. You cannot trust anybody else to do it. You sign up with those people when they're doing it. It's going to be up to us, to we the people, to make sure none of them, the media, Republicans, Democrats, even Trump, none of them make a profit off destroying our liberty. They can play all the reindeer games they want, but we have to keep our bright, shiny red noses pointed at the only target that matters, a future where corporations, international organizations, conferences of elites, and China are not allowed to jeopardize the systems that keep America strong and free. One of the uh, hardest things about running a company is dealing with employees like me who won't do what you tell them to do. (laughs) You really can't have a good company without a great HR team to make sure you're in compliance with all the regs. HR issues can kill you, and there can be wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and HR manager salaries aren't cheap. They are an average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small businesses. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. Pretty different than $70,000 a year. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. And again, that is as low as $99 a month. Go to Bambi.com slash Clavin right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash Clavin, spelled BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash Clavin, spelled Clay to the V-A-N. <laughs> and there are no E's in Clavin.
You know, today is the anniversary of the Boston Tea Party, which is interesting because I've been thinking all week about the founders. I do this in periods of transition, personal transition, but also, you know, uh, the country's transition. I try to get a bearing on what it exactly it is we're, we're fighting for, because you can get m- messed up in the, the fight of the moment and forget the, the big picture. During the Revolutionary War, uh, George Washington, one of the most virtuous men who ever lived, virtue at the time being defined as the, uh, as the sacrifice of your own interests to the public good, uh, he was one of the most virtuous men who ever lived. But as he started to see how the war was going and how Congress wasn't funding his armies and how his armies were drifting away, he wrote this letter to a congressman. He said, with far the greatest part of mankind, interest is the governing principle. And that Almost every man is more or less under its influence. Motives of public virtue may for a time or in particular instances actuate men to the observance of a conduct purely disinterested, but they are not of themselves sufficient to produce a persevering conformity to the refined dictates and obligations of social duty. This is to remind you that everybody is out for his own interests. It's very rare that a person comes along who sacrifices his own interests to the common good. It happens, as he says, as Washington says at times, but we have to depend on people to act on their interests most of the time. And James Madison, the architect of the Constitution, understood this. And he studied all the Republican republics in history, especially the Greeks, went back and looked at the Greek city-states, looked at Rome, looked at why these countries failed. And he came to the conclusion that they depended too much on public virtue. They depended on too much on people doing the right thing. And so he wanted to create a system of conflicts of interest. And that's why he invented the federal system, right? He, what he said was, in the old days, they used to say that a republic has to be small. I'm going to use the fact that America is so big. Of course, it was smaller then, but it was still big. And he, he knew it was going to get bigger by taking all these states and putting them up against each other. That's why Montana, where there are three people living, have two senators, and New York, where there are a million people living, also have two senators. He wanted them equally strong so they would have equal power when they were fighting out their interests. And he felt the more people, uh, the more interest groups there were fighting, the less likely we would be to uh, fall into tyranny and collapse. And that's why conservatives are always trying to preserve the system and why leftists are always trying to destroy it because what they hate is freedom and what we love is freedom. It's not one particular issue. It's about freedom and it's the system that preserves the freedom. And that's what we're always should be. We always should be trying to preserve. So I read two, let me, let me read two op-eds or just little bits, snippets of op-eds. I made that joke about Jill Biden, but this is a real thing. They're making a big fuss of this. They're, some of them are just trying to intimidate the press saying, don't you dare pick on, you know, we're going to come back with our identity politics and silence you again as we used to do. And as Trump stopped doing, uh, and you're going to take it because you love us and you hate Trump and, you know, you don't care about our freedoms at all. So we're going to just letting you know that we're going to make a big fuss about your not calling Jill Biden a doctor. So they published in the Wall Street Journal, which was the center of this attack, a Twitter thread by Sarah Parsak, a professor. This is a listen to this. This is a professor of archaeology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and a fellow at the John Simon Guggenheim Foundation, one of the most prestigious foundations in the country. And this is her Twitter feed. I know everyone is angry about what Joseph Epstein wrote about Dr. Biden yesterday in the Wall Street Journal. However, the real aim for our ire should be James Toronto. He is the editor of their op-ed page. He has so far completely escaped accountability. That 
ends now. James, explain yourself. When 3,000 plus Americans die daily from COVID, millions suffer with food insecurity and eviction, major sedition happening, racism, climate change. You give space to an angry old white misogynist to yell at our future first lady, Ray her education doctorate. While I started a national conversation, you might argue, yes, the conversation goes like this. F the Wall Street Journal, F Joseph Epstein, and F their trash op-ed pages. I hope you consider pulling the piece, apologizing, and committing to making the Wall Street Journal op-ed page something people want to read, and also go F yourself. This is a professor of archaeology with the Guggenheim Foundation. She tweets, living human garbage monster Paul Gigot Wall Street Journal head opinion editor doubled down on the Dr. Jill Biden opinion page saying she is open to criticism. Hey, Wall Street Journal writers, are you cool with blatant sexism and misogyny and slander against women? That discussion should not take place. Now I want you to read you about something else, about a scholar named James Flynn who died. Jason Riley wrote about him in the journal today. I recently read Charles Murray's book, Human Diversity, which is about the genetic differences between men and women, the genetic differences between races, and the genetic differences between people in different classes. And I didn't like the book very much. I usually find these uh, pop studies of uh, genetics, they always confirm that genetics make us the way we are right this minute. I mean, even Matt Ridley, a great science writer, does this too. It just, genetics always confirm. I mean, what would happen if they came back and said, genetics have shown that men and women are exactly alike? Then you'd know that genetics was garbage, right? You would just say, that's not true. Men and women are not exactly alike. They're very different. So your, your science is wrong. You know, the science is wrong. I can see with my own eyes. So when they tell you that, like, I basically felt Murray goes out of his way to be to dodge political attacks, to not say that he thinks that black people are dumb. That's that he goes out of his way to avoid saying that. But that's basically the undercurrent of the book. And I, and I, look, I'm not attacking the guys who are racist. I think he's he's following what he thinks is the science. I think that science is garbage. And so there is this guy, James Flynn, who is skeptical of these kinds of findings. And, you know, Riley points out that the the changes in IQ over time and the changes of IQ in people in different circumstances uh, really just obliterate this idea that they're one race is smarter than another permanently because of genetic things. But listen to what this guy, James Flynn, who recently died, listen to how he addressed this debate. He said, I am happy to discuss. And this is a guy who believed that the Charles Murray School was wrong, that that black people are not uh, the races are not stupider or smarter, that these things are fluid. And it's obviously true. I, I think it's ridiculous. And he said, I am happy to discuss the race and IQ debate with colleagues who hold contrary views. Telling someone that what they believe is morally remiss or telling them that if they persist in disagreeing, I will expose them is not my style. That's the fight we're in. See, this is the fight we're in. We're, in the, we're not in a fight. You know, there really are three sides. There's the left, there's the right, and then there are the people who want the system to continue because the system keeps us free, who want everybody to be able to argue and speak and not be silenced. I don't, I, I don't even want these guys who I think are kind of Nazis. I don't want them silenced. I want everybody to be able to speak. I've, I've spoken up for Alex Jones when they knocked him off the air. You know, I, I think it's just wrong. I think we can, we can defeat these guys in open argument and comparing their ideas to ours. Freedom will win through freedom. I really, truly believe that it has always been the case. It's always the case that censorship just leads to more censorship. So this is why, you know, this is why I actually sometimes defend the, just the left's right to speak, not the, what they're saying, but I don't want them to silence us, which is what they do. You know, there's a, an interview in, in Glamour magazine with uh, 
Joe Biden's 2020 campaign manager, Jen O'Malley Dillon, who is now his prospective deputy chief of staff. And she says, she says, I, th- I think that compromise is a good thing. As with love, uh, the atmosphere in the world now is like, oh, if you compromise, you don't believe in something. No, it's I believe in it so much that I'm going to work to find a path we can both go down together. And then she says, you know, the president-elect was able to connect with people over this sense of unity. Um, and she says in the primary, people would mock him like you think you can work with Republicans. And then she says, I'm not saying they're not a bunch of effers. Mitch McConnell is terrible. But this <laughs> sense that you couldn't wish for that, you couldn't wish for this bipartisan ideal. He rejected that. So they're going to have unity with us uh, mofos. And they're, you know, they just hate us that much. And this is why, you know, you get exchange. Well, you get exchanges like this. Mitch McConnell said this when the Electoral College confirmed that Joe Biden was the president-elect. This is Mitch McConnell, cut 12. Many millions of us had hoped the presidential election would yield a different result. But our system of government has processes to determine who will be sworn in on January the 20th. The Electoral College has spoken. So today I want to congratulate President-elect Joe Biden The president-elect is no stranger to the Senate. He's devoted himself to public service for many years. All right. A little graceful acknowledgement that this election is over. Mitch stuck with Trump. We all said Trump had the right to to, uh, take his case to court. Trump took his case to court. He lost in every case. You know, that now Joe Biden is the president-elect. Everybody is pretty much admitting this, except for the people, you know, who are really out there. Most of the, you know, people even on Newsmax and things like this are saying, yes, he is the president-elect. Here is Anderson Cooper's response to Mitch McConnell's graceful admission of defeat. This is cut 14. So six weeks, dozens of court cases, two Supreme Court rejections, one fascist rally, four stabbings, countless threats against election officials who are just doing their jobs, and more than $200 million in deceptive Trump fundraising since the election. A slow clap, everyone, for Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. After all, it's not like he said anything that wasn't obvious the Saturday after the election, five weeks ago, when news organizations called the race for President-elect Biden. So this is from the son of a socialite who compared ordinary Americans when they rose up in the Tea Party to a grotesque sexual practice he apparently enjoys. And this is from the... TV stations from CNN where they kept the Russian hoax going for three years while Mitch McConnell, among other people, were harassed and threatened and people doxed them and showed up outside their house. But all that doesn't exist anymore because they're in the right. You see, that's the thing. So that's this is why this is why I'm uncomfortable with revolutionary talk on this Tea Party, on this anniversary of the Tea Party. I'm uncomfortable with revolutionary talk from the right because We're not trying to destroy the system. We're trying to preserve the system. And when people say, well, the system is already gone, we have to just tear everything down. What is the likelihood? What is the likelihood that if we do that, we're going to get keep our Constitution almost nil, almost nil. Once people start using force, force is what carries the day. And this is why when I look at the world, you know. This is why Trumpian nationalism is a good thing. I want interests to be fighting with one another, right? And this is why Trump Trump was right about nationalism. He wanted he didn't want America to be alone. He wanted America to come first, and he wanted other countries to put themselves first so that we would be in competition. That is federal global federalism. That is just like we want each state to be strong and sovereign so that they can all fight out their interests, right? That's what we want for America. In the globe, because it's a global world, we're not going to be able to stop it being a global world. You know, I can pick up a 
a phone the size of my hand and call Afghanistan right here, right now. It's a global world already. There's, not, there's no stopping that. We want it to be a global world of competing states. We want countries to act like the states in America. We want it to be a federation, like in Star, in Star Trek, right? We want it to be a federation, a federation of democratic states. This is going to have to happen. There's going to have to be a federation of democratic countries that is basically what the UN is not and standing up for freedom around the world. That's so again, this is why the the strong talk and the fist raised and the you know kind of uh, right-wing talk radio idea that everything is a revolution that everything we all have to go to the mattresses. This is why I'm uncomfortable with this because the system is what keeps us free and the system is what's under threat and that's why conservatives try to defend the system. Christmas is a coming, and you know what that means, and all the joy of standing in the post office while people cough in your face. Or, or you could get stamps.com. This holiday season, more people will be mailing stuff than ever before. That means the post office is going to be busy. You don't have time for that, but stamps.com brings the post office and now UPS shipping right to your computer. Mail and ship anything from the convenience of your home or office. All you have to do is use your computer. It will print U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. And with Stamps.com, you get five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. It's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. Don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year. Sign up for Stamps.com. Instead, there's no risk. With my promo code Claven, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. It's a really cool digital scale, too. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Claven. That's Stamps.com. Enter Claven. Stamps.com. You never have to go to the post office again if, but only if, you know how to spell Claven. It is K-L-A-V-A-N. I go after the media as much as I do because they are now an interest group that jeopardizes the American system. They are now a corporate internet. They're now the voice of a corporate international power that wants this glo- the, the other kind of globalism, this globalism where we're all unified under one government, which is bad. It would be bad. It's bad that the federal government has become too powerful in America. It would be bad if international organizations became too powerful in the world. We want local governments to have the power. We want the government of Montana to run Montana and the government of New York to run New York. And we want the America to be a sovereign nation unto itself, competing in a friendly but uh, aggressive way with Germany and with France and with Britain and with all those guys who are essentially our friends. Do we disagree with them about essential things? Sure we do. That's because they have their right to run their countries, right? And we all understand this. But it's different than China, who is infesting our businesses and our universities with spies in the hopes that we will all kowtow to them, which is also what a lot of these multinational corporations want. They want to run, they want to even direct charities to make sure the charities go to to the right place. They don't want small donors giving uh, money to charities that they can't control. They have a leftist agenda. They want to impose it on the world. And this is why I'm going to miss, of all the people uh, in the Trump administration, I'm going to meet Miss Kaylee McEnany as much as anyone. 
She's the, I call her the species girl because she's a hot blonde who rips men's spines out with her tongue. Uh, if you've ever seen species. Um, and she really gave it to the press yesterday. And it is one more indication of Trump's victory, the victory of the Trump administration, that he has left them in ruins and without credibility. Anderson Cooper's slow clapping is slow clapping to himself. He's in a room alone because nobody, nobody believes in these people after at, at, anymore. She went, after, she went after so many things. She went after the way they said that Trump couldn't create a vaccine. But then she went after this Swalwell thing, Eric Swalwell, who apparently was bang-banging fang-fang, uh, this Chinese spy. And she went over the, after the fact that this is a story, not only that they're not covering, but this Swalwell has been misdirecting people from all this time. Let's play uh, cut two first. As former White House Press Secretary Ari Fleischer said, Bias is often found in stories the press does not cover. And last week we found out that Democrat Congressman Eric Swalwell was infiltrated by an alleged Chinese spy. This spy cozied up to Swalwell, raised funds for his 2014 campaign, and even planted an intern in his office. And that relationship continued until the FBI briefed him in 2015. And that was some very good reporting done by Axios. Um, but after entangling with this spy for years, Swalwell hypocritically went on to be one of the lead instigators of the Russia collusion hoax in the impeachment sham. Swalwell wrote this on his congressional webpage. President Trump and his team are directly and indirectly tied to Russia. That was not true. He then said in September of 2020, the president has a compromised relationship with Russia. Untrue. Okay. And then she went out and pointed out that they're still, they are not covering this at all. This is cut three. These baseless attacks were false, yet covered breathlessly by the media. Uh, there was no coverage, however, of Swalwell being the one implicated with not Russia, but China. In fact, the New York Times website, as of this morning, had not one result for Eric Swalwell's ties to Chinese spies. Not one result. And when the Swalwell story broke, guess how many minutes of coverage it got on ABC, NBC, MSNBC, and CBS? Zero. CNN devoted three minutes and 16 seconds to it. Um, however, it was covered on Fox. We decided to make it female so that it would be more docile and controllable. More docile and controllable, huh? Well, I guess you guys don't get out much. <laughs> that, was, that's, that was the scene from Species where they created Kaylee McEnany. Of course, the, the corporate media is not covering the Swalwell story. They're not covering the China story honestly at all because they're all in with China. And again, again, this is a conspiracy of interest. They make money off China. They have deals with China. They are entertainment companies that put out movies. And China has a, a an audience of 1.4 billion people. They are making money hands over fists. Everybody I know who is in business has been has flown to China at some point or other. They, they don't care that China is spying on America. It's fine with them. And the, and the Chinese agenda of making everybody march in ideological lockstep is the agenda of Davos, is the agenda of AOC, is the agenda of Amazon. It's the agenda of all of them. You know, it, it's true that Amazon doesn't kill people and doesn't put uh, Muslims in prison, but they want that ideological lockstep just the same and they want to use their power to do it and they want to make money at the same time. This is why capitalism is never the whole, no ism is the answer. No ism is the answer. Freedom has to uh, exist first, has to be the value above all others. Even in Christianity, freedom is the, um, is the 
value above all others because you have free will to choose to be a Christian or not, to choose whether to believe or not. Then there's the Hunter Biden story, which is also, in a way, a story about China. Well, not in a way. It is a story about China. Chuck Grassley, uh, who with Ron Johnson prepared a report condemning Hunter Biden weeks ago and was basically shut down by the media. Uh, he's now going after them with hammer and tongs, saying, you guys shut me up, but I was right. This is cut four. Hunter Biden and his associates and family members were connected to Chinese nationalists, nationals and Chinese companies linked with the Communist Party and the People's Liberation Army. This includes the CEFC China Energy Company Limited and also that company's subsidiaries. These associations and the millions of dollars that passed between and among Hunter Biden, James Biden and others create criminal financial and counterintelligence and extortion concerns. That's why I've written to the Justice Department about the risks that Hunter and James Biden essentially served as agents of the communist government for purposes of their registering under the Foreign Agents Registration Act. <laughs> it's a big deal. And again, this is being covered by a corporate media that is in with China all the way. And Species Girl went after Kaylee McEnany, went after the way they covered the Hunter Biden story before the election and after the elections. Cut 15. On October 15th, you had a New York Times headline that said Trump said to be warned that he was being given Russian disinformation over Hunter Biden. Um, now, December 10th, just a few months later, New York Times headline investigation of Hunter Biden is likely to hang over Biden as he takes office. Washington Post on October 16th. The headline read, The Truth Behind the Hunter Biden Non-Scandal. Now you have the Washington Post headline that says this, Hunter Biden tax probe examining Chinese business deals. <laughs> what's the, so what's the reaction of the press to having their spines ripped out by a hot blonde's tongue? Here is Jim, look at me. I'm Jim Acosta trying to shut Kaylee McEnany down before his audience hears too much truth. It's cut 16. Good for those who covered what was a story all along and not Russia disinformation. Isn't it, isn't it hypocritical for you to accuse others of disinformation when you spread it every day? <laughs> so, you know, that's a really bad argument, Jim, because her job is to represent the administration. Your job is to tell the truth, which you haven't done possibly since birth, but certainly for the last four years. You know, and, this, and the word is out. This is a vi big victory for Trump, that the word is out about the media. A, a, a new poll found that 52 percent of likely voters think the absence of Hunter Biden coverage was intended to boost the campaign, the Biden campaign, while 32 percent considered it a partisan hip job and 17 percent are unsure, probably unsure of where they live or what their names are. But the thing is, a whopping 76 percent, reading this from the New York Post, a whopping 76 percent of those who have been very closely following the news believe the media ignored the stories to help the president-elect. 76% and 72% of that group also think the former vice president likely knew about and profited from his son's dealings. So the people following the news know what's going on. And, you know, the, their attitude on the press is, please stop, stop telling the truth about us. But this is open policy at CNN. I played that video from Project Veritas of uh, Jeff Zucker and David Chalian uh, conspiring to cover up the Hunter Biden story, conspiring essentially to protect all his connections with China. Here's Brian Stelter 
poor, sad little cryboy uh, Brian Stelter saying, basically, no, we shouldn't cover it. It's got five. These shows destroy their credibility when they lead with Hunter Biden for days on end. Yes, it's an important story, but so is the pandemic. So is the vaccine. So is Trump's denialism. Look, I know why they do it. I, I know why they do it. Fox producers believe that their viewers do not want to hear about the pandemic all the time. Do not want to hear about Trump leaving office. Do not want to face those facts. So the producers scour the web for sour news about Democrats instead. On your Facebook feed, on your Twitter feed, and in certain corners of the networks and the media, they all look like they're the same size. Everything looks like it's the same size now. That is something that's fundamentally broken about our media structure. And you can see it most clearly on Fox when they obsess over Hunter Biden, a big story that they blow out to be the biggest volcano that's ever erupted. And while well, you guys were hiding it, basically, now he's attacking Fox for covering the story that they dumped, basically, because it's a big story. So listen, to fight this threat, to fight the threat of this of these corporations and all these interests, it's going to take all the free people in the world. It is. It's going to take all the free people of the world. We want strong states in America. We want a strong America in the world. We want strong individual democracies working together against the forces of Chinese capitalism, which is the new face of the left. Chinese capitalism is the new face of the left. It ain't socialism. It is this free market with no freedom for, for the people. That's the fight. It's going to take everybody, and it's going to take the, pro the structures, the structures that James Madison created for us to stay in place and to spread. We need a global world run by James Madison run on the, on the model of the James Madison's Constitution. This year, when Christmas comes and you want to see Santa Claus, you don't even have to get out of bed. You can use your Ring camera doorbell. That thing will show you any elf who comes to your door, no matter where you are. You just look at your phone. You can talk to anybody who comes to your door. You can see and speak to anyone from anywhere with video doorbells. Plus, Ring will help you keep secure in other ways. You can keep an eye on every corner of your house with easy-to-install indoor and outdoor cams. That's very reassuring in the middle of the night. You don't have to get out of bed to investigate. Help protect your whole home with Ring Alarm, too, a powerful, affordable, whole home security system you can easily install yourself. That's a lot better than having them come over your home and not do it well. For a limited time, go to ring.com forward slash Clavin and you will get special holiday offers so you can see every elf who comes. You can keep track of your packages. Make sure nobody is out there taking them away again. The Grinch is not stealing your Christmas. That's ring.com forward slash Clavin. And if anyone comes to your home, no matter where you are, you can say to them, how do you spell Clavin? And they will tell you it is K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in Clavin. I just make it look this incredibly easy. On Monday, December 21st, the historical docuseries Apollo 11, What We Saw, will be available exclusively at dailywire.com. Originally released as an audio podcast for Apple and Spotify, What We Saw will be available to watch as well as listen on the Daily Wire Apple TV or Roku app or at dailywire.com. This is my pal Bill Whittle. He does a great, great job covering this stuff. He loves, he loves aeronautics. This guy would never be on the ground. I'm not even sure he is on the ground much, but he would never be on the ground if he could help it. A dramatically inspiring story, Apollo 11, what we saw is a fantastic series to watch with your loved ones over the holiday break. And right now you can get it for 20% off with code watch when you become an insider or above member at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Make sure to download our Apple TV or Roku app to get all of our content on your big screen. That's dailywire.com slash subscribe to get 20% off your membership with code watch and access to all of our new and existent content and the mailbag, which will be back 
uh, next year. <laughs> you And you will want to be on it because you may have some problems next year, too, if I don't solve them all coming right up. Mailbag. That was awful. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad I'm getting a break. I'll tell you that. So I have one letter. I, I filled in for Ben uh, on radio last week. I guess it was last Friday. And I did a mailbag there. And this was one of the letters to me that I read on Ben's show. But I want to answer it again first because I rambled a little because I hadn't seen the letter before. And second, because I think it's one of the more important mailbag questions I've ever gotten. Uh, this is from Thomas. He says, thank you for being an anchoring voice of wisdom during these times. I'm currently studying at Oxford University for a degree in theology. I hope to devote my life to seeing the church once again be the driving engine of culture, politics, and science. I want your advice on this. How do you see this happening? How can the church become relevant again? Have we been a approaching our relationship to the world in a wrong way. Thank you again for your passion to bring glory to our Lord and for doing it with unmatched humor. Well, thank you for that. And I want to answer this question. I answered it before, but I do think that the church has been flailing. And I have also been predicting for a long time that there was going to be a revival of Christianity, a revival of Christian faith that was going to come from the intellectual top for the simple reason that without Christian faith, nothing we believe in makes sense. And Christian faith does make sense. And so I believe it's going to come from the intellectuals who do follow those honest intellectuals like Thomas at Oxford University studying the faith. That's where I think the revival is coming from. And what I believe is that in order to revivify Christianity for the modern age, because the modern age does change things. We have knowledge that people in the old days didn't have. And that knowledge, when it explodes superstitions that they did have, it seems to attack their belief system. But that's not true. The underlying belief system is sound. It's just that people didn't know as much scientifically as we know now. That's the only difference between us. But the belief system remains sound. And in order to get back to that belief system and re-energize it, I think we have to return to the source of the wisdom, which is Jesus Christ. I think that uh, this is not to denigrate St. Paul. He is the great church builder. He is the great organizer of things, but he is not the incarnate word of God. He is inspired by God, but he is not the incarnate word of God. And I think we tend to quote him more often than we quote Jesus. The Bible is a record of God's siege on the world to take back the world after it was taken over by our, our enemies. You know, that's, that's basically what the Bible is the story of. And it starts with his choosing the Jews from uh, through which we could view history uh, as, as a lens on a relationship with God. And its culmination is the life, death, and resurrection of the incarnate word of God. What the word looks like when it's human. What the logic of God looks like when it's us, right? On other planets, there may be other species that have to have a different incarnate word. But he, here, we needed a, a God as, we needed God as man. And one of the things about Jesus is, I, I, I want to summarize where I think the core of his message is, the core of the incarnate word, not the details, just the core. First of all, he tells you that you're not going to save the world. And this is one of the biggest mistakes the churches have made and is one of the reasons they have blown themselves up is because they have decided to be relevant. They're going to tell us that black lives matter. They're going to celebrate gay pride. They're going to uh, fight uh, the is, is, Islam uh, you know, in the wars. The churches is, are not here to save the world. They're here to help the salvation of human beings in Jesus Christ, right? Jesus said, 
give all your money to the poor, but the poor you have always with you. You're not going to change that. It's not going to change. He said, you are the light of the world, but the world is going to hate you. It's not by illuminating the world, the world is going to change. The way you do this is you have to, Jesus said, be perfect like your father is perfect. And when you hear that, you think, huh? You know, that's, that's not going to happen. But what the word he uses means that you have to meet you're the target of who you are. You have to fulfill your telos, the purpose for which God made you. And if in each of us, that looks different. There, each of us is an individual fashioned fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And each of us is to become the person we were made to be. And that's why Jesus says you should become like little children because as a child, you're sort of unified. You know who you are. It's before you start thinking and having interests and being led astray by you know, your desires and things like that and your, and your sinfulness. You knew who you were as a little baby. So he wants you to hit that target, that telos, and become the person God made you to be versus what in Greek is hamartia and is always translated as sin. That means missing the target. It's a term from archery. Uh, the term that is translated as sin means missing the target. And you do this, he tells you, how, you know, there, it's an instruction book. It's a lot of what he says is, how do you do this? You have to avoid certain sins. You don't murder. You don't steal. You don't commit adultery. You don't bear false witness. Basically, the sins that he lists almost always are sins of respecting the lives and property of the people around you as if they were yourself, respecting their life and their property as if it was your life and your property, and the, the sins of inauthenticity. Don't uh, tell your wife you're going to be faithful to her or your husband that you're going to be faithful and then not be faithful. Don't commit, bear false witness. Don't lie about people. Be who you seem to be and say what you mean, right? So that is basically the stuff that you have to get out of the way. Those are the obstacles to becoming who you are. Then what do you do then? You have to, all of that stuff is based on love of God and love of neighbor, okay? This is this is what he's talking about to you. By loving your neighbor, your neighbor is not going to be a better person because you love them. You are going to be a better person. And the other, the other thing he repeatedly tells you is not to judge. Judge not, lest you be judged. And preachers hate this. Conservatives are the worst about this. They want to immediately get, they say, oh, no, no, no. He just meant don't judge hypocritically. That's not what he said. He said, judge not, lest you be judged. Now, of course, that doesn't mean you don't put a criminal in jail. It doesn't mean you don't have to fight wars against people who are trying to kill people and conquer people. You have to do all those things. The world continues to be the world. What you're not supposed to judge is the state of other people's souls. You're not supposed to close the door to the church to anyone who wants to come in. That's, that's the truth. If you do all these things, if you do all these things, you will have the joy that Jesus promises you. He promises you life in abundance, and he says, I want my joy to be in you, and that will happen to you, I promise you. I live it, I know it, I know it's true. But the world will hate you, and occasionally I live that too. It is not going to be uh, that it's not going to make you popular. It's not going to make you rich. It's not going to make you Tom Cruise. It's going to give you troubles in life because you're going to lose stuff because you speak the truth because you are who you are and you stand for what you stand for. That is going to be a problem for you all through life. It was a big problem for Jesus, as I recall. He didn't end well, but then he did. And what he's saying is the res this resurrection is there for you. That is what res the resurrection is. It is the first of the fruits of living a godly life. That's the message. Everything else, you know, all the details and all this stuff, you know, they can be liberal churches, they can be conservative churches, they can be all kinds of churches, but if you're not selling the word of God, what Jesus actually said, you've lost your product. If you're selling Black Lives Matter on the left, you've lost your product. If you're selling I Hate Islam on the right, you lost your product. The product 
is your soul. That's the product that Christianity is selling. It is the marketplace where you can find your soul and the joy of having your soul aligned with God. And that, I think, is where this starts. It starts with understanding, really understanding what Jesus was saying, why he was hated by the politicians, he was hated by the people, he was hated by the religious people. That's why, because he was telling you of a way to live that is not the way of the world. And if you're not selling that, if you're not taking people out of the world, if you're thinking you're going to save the world or change the world or make the world better, a better place, you're not selling them anything because you're not going to do any of that stuff. All right. I just wanted to re-answer that because, uh, first of all, I wanted it on my show since the letter was to me. And uh, also, I just wanted to say it more concisely. Uh, from Rick, you know, Andrew, you are really something. <laughs> this is not going to go well, I can tell. Your viewpoints on things are so anti what they should be, you just give up, roll over, and I would argue speak often with the voice of the left. You're increasingly frustrating over time, and it wouldn't surprise me to learn you've been bought out. Uh, perhaps that's why you're... <laughs> Presence on the Daily Wire, a growing publication, is decreasing. There's a huge amount of evidence of voter fraud across the nation, and all you say is move along, nothing to see here. Uh, just accept it because Trump lost, Biden won, get over it. You do yourself and your readers, viewers of the service, and you are so disappointing. All right, no question there, but obviously a point of view. And I just want to point out that the point of view actually doesn't make any sense, okay? Who have I been bought out by? And where's my check? That's the other thing. <laughs> you know, I can barely get the people I actually work for uh, to pay me what I'm worth. Where's my check from the left if they're buying me out? And, uh, you know, again, the my changing role at the Daily Wire originates from me. I tell you that this, that's the truth. It's something that I asked uh, them for, not something that they asked of me. They asked me the opposite. They wanted me to keep doing what I'm doing. I, I wanted to move on. So it doesn't really make sense. And it doesn't make sense that I would jeopardize my listenership by doing this. It doesn't make sense. You know, again, the people who are screaming and yelling are collecting money and gaining adherence. They are get, gaining money and gaining adherence. That's not what's happening to me. You can see what's happening to me. If you go online, everybody is yelling at me. Everybody is angry at me. And I understand. And I did not say there was no fraud. I said there were huge amounts of fraud. I said they cannot prove that the election was stolen. I have followed the proof. It's not there. I don't see it. The, the, the evidence is more to the point that, yeah, the, the Democrats, they, they're like a criminal organization. They commit fraud. They are now saying, uh, I think it was Ron Johnson was saying, uh, that there's going to be a Senate investigation into Dominion, into the electoral, uh, into the election. I think all of that should take place. I think all of the Democrat shenanigans should be broken down. I think it should be exposed. I think the, the mail-in voting uh, thing has got to be dialed back. I think the Democrats did everything they could to use COVID to, to kill transparency. I've said this again and again and again. But if you follow the court cases, the Trump lawyers did not make their case in the end to overturn the election. And the structures, the election structures that we have in place have got to remain sound. They have to remain sound for our sake as well as for theirs. Expose the fraud, but don't lose the Senate. Don't distract from the Senate race in Georgia, which is the race that has to be won. You know, you fight the fights you can win. You fight the fights that you're actually where you're actually sure you're right. You don't just get onto any bandwagon that makes you feel good because being angry feels better than being sad. That's what I have to say. Um, and, I, and again, if I've been bought off, I want my check. Uh, from Tamra, I grew up in a moderate, conservative, traditional Lutheran Christian family with two parents who were still married. Uh, my younger brother abandoned his Christian worldview as a young adult, married an atheist Jew. They are raising their children with a secular leftist worldview. Um, I, I know you can't make anyone reconsider their faith, 
but I know there are several moments in your own faith journey, in mine, where you outline in your memoir that I'm certain my brother could relate to. I want him to have the opportunity to read your book, but feel like a fool just ordering it and giving it to him since he openly mocks my Christian faith. My relationship with my brother has become quite superficial uh, since we can't have meaningful conversations about dissolving without dissolving into divisiveness and anger. I value your, your wisdom and advice. Um, basically asking whether I, she says, I, I, I don't feel even feel comfortable praying out loud in my own home before a family meal when he's with us, much less have the courage to revisit a conversation regarding his hostile revelation of his atheism years ago. What should I do? Uh, first of all, I don't want to discourage you from buying my book. Everyone should buy my memoir, The Great Good Thing. It is a, a book that many, many people have liked very, very much. You can see on, on Amazon. Uh, and uh, so I don't want to discourage you from doing that, but I do want to discourage you from continually getting in arguments with your brother. When he is in your home, you should pray out loud. You should say grace before meals. You should follow your structures when he is in your home. Why keep having these arguments with him? You know, you he knows where you stand. If he wants you to come and help him, uh, you know, find his faith again, he will come to you and help him. Giving him my book is, in fact kind of obnoxious. Buy it. Definitely buy it. Buy many, many copies of it. But giving it to him is kind of obnoxious. The way you preach is to live out the joy of your faith. That is the way you preach. You are not here to drag him back when he does when he's not going to come because it won't work. If it would work, I would give you different advice, but it's not going to work. What will, what, if anything will work, what will work is living in the joy of your faith and doing that for real, not just to show him, but doing it for real. You live in the joy of your faith. That is preaching the gospel. That is the, the most effective way of preaching the gospel. What's going on now is dysfunctional. It's not helping. Uh, it's just, it's just going over and over the trauma again and again. You've got to stop it, but don't let him come into your house and tell you whether you can pray or not. That's ridiculous. It's your house. You pray before meals and he just can be respectful of that. And if he can't, he shouldn't come over. But yeah, you got to stop. But buy the book anyway. All right. I got to stop there, but I will be back again tomorrow. Last show of the year. You don't want to miss it. You want to suck up all the Claveny goodness you can. So you have a Claveny Christmas. <laughs> be there. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Mike Cormina. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. And our production assistants are McKenna Waters and Jacob Falash. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Mitch McConnell calls Joe Biden president-elect. CNN complains that Melania read a book to sick kids in a hospital, and California Governor Gavin Newsom faces a serious recall effort. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.